Thank you so much, Megan. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Um, I, I just want to double down. It is, isn't it awesome that, that in this crazy, these crazy times that, that we're living, man, people want to hear the Word of God preached, lived. Man, we're, we're seeing God do some incredible things. And I just want to thank you so much for being part of what God's doing here at Grace. And so I would say, I just want to double down on what she said. Like right now, I'm going to give a big shout out. We have set up a, a streaming campus that's literally the next room over. We couldn't fit everybody in. We've got people that volunteered to go over there. So I want to say a big shout out to you. Thank you for being willing to do that. But I, I would also add, like if you guys have some flexibility to shift to either the 830 service, 1130 service, pray about that. Because if so, and that works your schedule, awesome. I will like personally bring you coffee if you, well, anyway, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll think through that. But, uh, but no, it's so good to have you here. And I, I want to, I want to kick off and look, look at something. Um, first of all, let me ask this question. How many of you are going to be traveling for the holidays, whether it be in November or December? And you're going to be traveling for the holidays. Okay, so, so I just read this report. This, uh, let's see, it'll be next, uh, next week, the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. They're going to be over 50, what did they say? 53.8 million people traveling, just getting home or whatever for Thanksgiving. And I love that, man. That is, that is such a great thing. It is awesome to be able to go home. Like, like even if you don't like your hometown anymore, like if you're happy that you even have your own life in the sense that you're not living at home anymore, it's still good to go home. There's just something awesome about being able to go back to a familiar place and see familiar people. That is a good thing, unless... Unless there's going to be something awkward, going to take place. Like, like, like seriously, if there if there's like issues between you and 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 your parents, for example, maybe you're not excited about going home, or maybe it's just like that weird uncle that's always there. It's like, oh man, and like some of you are that weird uncle. Let's just be honest. Let, you know, you, you get you know. But, 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 but here's what I know. Like, if, there, if there's anything that is unresolved, anything that's there, a lot of times that actually gets, interferes with our excitement at, at going home and seeing somebody. Now, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about coming home this morning. We're in a series called Heaven's Headlines. I'm a, I want to talk to you about coming home. I'm going to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture. And, and if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you my big point right off the bat, I, so, just, so, just so you're with me. Here's, here, here's, here's, what I want us to, here's what I want us to know as we look at, as we look at Luke, uh, Luke 15 this morning. You never have to fear coming home to the Father. You never have to fear coming home to the Father, and I want to explain why. See, in Luke 15, Jesus is talking to a diverse group of people, and in fact, there'd been a little wrestling back and forth between these two groups of people. And so Jesus is going to make a spiritual point by telling a fictional story. And so he, he, he uses this, this storytelling method called a parable to, to make a point. And so we pick up our reading here in, in verse 11. And what I want you to do as I'm reading, I want you to keep, I want you to keep your Bibles open because I want to make sure that we understand this. But, but he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, 
Now, I want to pause here to make sure that we get this. And, and I'm going to just tell you right up front, like, it might sound like I'm some Middle Eastern culture, cultural expert. I'm not, but I can research just like you can. And, and, and so, but I, I, I have studied, the, you know, the, this, this culture. And, and I, I read those first few verses, and we might not catch the significance of this. But what the younger son just did here in this story, this would have been shocking to a Jewish audience, is that in essence, he said to his dad, dad, I don't want a family anymore. I don't want you to be my dad anymore. In fact, the essence of what he was saying is, I wish you were dead. Give me what's coming out of, what, what, what's, what's coming to me and I'm getting out of here. This was blatant disrespect what the younger son did. You didn't do that to your dad before your dad died. In fact, a, a, a traditional uh, Middle, Middle Eastern patriarch would have responded in one way. He literally slapped his son in the face. And, if you, and I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating or just saying that for shock value. He would have done this. The expectation would have been in the face of such blatant disrespect, you would drive your son out of your house if you ever talked that way. If you didn't drive him out with physical blows, you'd sure get some good verbal party shots. That's, that's what a Middle Eastern patriarch would do. And so when Jesus is telling the story, you gotta understand when he says that, that the father divided his property between the, uh, the two sons, that would have been shocking. That's not the response of a Middle Eastern father. You don't do that. And yet, he did this, and it's interesting because the, the word that's translated property here isn't, isn't usually translated property in, in, in the New Testament. Now, it fits here, but Jesus specifically taught, used this word. It's the Greek word bios, which it's, it's actually from what we get biology, B-I-O-S. We get the, it literally means he, in essence, divided his life between the two sons. Now, here's what you get to know. In, in, in Jewish culture, the older son... He got more honor, more respect. How many, how many older, pe older kids do we have here today? Let me see your hands. All right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so how many, how many uh, of you aren't the, you're the younger? Let me see your hands. If you're a younger sibling, you're like, yeah, we know. The older, the older kids always get all the respect. It's not even fair. Like, what's up with that? So here's the deal. In Jewish culture, the firstborn got twice as much of the inheritance as the, the other siblings. So, so the two, two kids here, you would actually, you would divide the inheritance of three parts. Two thirds goes to the older son. One third goes to the younger son. Okay. So, so here's the thing. The, the, this whole idea of, of land was a really important thing. Your land had everything to do. It wasn't just, it wasn't just that you own land. Like if you own land, it's nice to have that. Maybe it'll appreciate in value and, and it's a great investment. No, here your land had everything to do with how you were perceived and the respect and the honor you were afforded. In fact, the, the, if you were a great landowner, the greater the land, the more honor that you had. And so I want you to grasp what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's telling the story. He's getting a, a point across. He, this, the, 
his father's very identity is found in the land. He, in essence, did not care. He's asking his father to tear his life apart, tear apart his standing in the community, to literally tear himself apart. And the father does this. So the hears, they've never seen a Middle Eastern patriarch that would respond this way to an insult like this. Literally, what, what he's doing is, and they see this, they can almost feel this, I'm sure. They're, they're watching this, this father respond to rejected love. Have you ever had your love rejected? Some of you have. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like I remember when I went to I went to youth camp and I was like 14 and I met this girl. <laughs> she was amazing. In f- four, five days of youth camp, we were convinced that this was the one. And I think I might've even told her that, which is stupid. But anyway, I, I, you know, I, I just, I was, oh, this is, she is the one. And I get home and the next week she went to another youth camp. And apparently she made that same commitment to some other kid. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Why in the world of my little 14-year-old heart was broken? Here's the thing, man. That's just a, that's, that's nothing compared to actually what some of you have suffered. Divorce, being wronged, family members turning their back on you. Maybe it's just the loss of a, of a friendship, rejected love. When they're hearing this story, they're, they're hearing the story of a man and they get what's going on here. Well, Jesus doesn't stop there. He tells the rest of the story. So, so the father divides his property between the two sons. Many, uh, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into the far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, I mean, he ran through money. He spent everything His timing, since the timing was terrible, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now you get to understand, pigs were considered unclean. Uh, You did, a good law-abiding Jew did not eat pork. Like they did not eat bacon. And it's not just that you didn't eat it, if you worked with pigs, took care of pigs, you had literally, what, what Jesus is doing, you had reached the lowest point possible for a good Jew, right? I mean, you're, you're not, now you're unable to go worship at the temple. You are, you, uh, there's ceremonial uncleanness here. And so he's, he's, it's not just that he's feeding pigs, he's in need himself. And it says in, in verse 16, He's so hungry that he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, this is a very important phrase. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. He came to his senses. Now, I, w- I want to pause here because today I'm talking, I, w- I want to aim this, this message. This message is intended for literally everybody that's in this room, okay? It, like if you are not even a believer and you're just showing up here today, uh, you know, maybe somebody invited you and you're just being kind, or maybe you have doubts, or maybe you just even showed up to, to prove to yourself that there is no such thing as God and how 
Christians are jerks or whatever. I don't know. Whatever your case happens to be, even if you're not a believer, I, I have something I think you're going to be able to take away from what I'm sharing today. But I would also say this. If you've been serving God year, two years, 17 years, 77 years, like literally the day you were born, the next day was, was prayer meeting and your, your kids, I mean, your parents took you to church. Like some of you know what I'm talking about. This, this message is for all of us. But when I talk about coming to senses, I, I want to talk to those of you that might be here and maybe you had a relationship with, with God and maybe you have blown it big time and you know you've blown it, right? Like, like you have come to your senses. And when you've come to your senses, it's not just that there is an awareness of need, there's also an awareness that you've blown it in some way. There, there, there's an awareness that you've made some bad choices, but perhaps there is this, there's this perception that you have of, of God in the sense that you're like, man, there is no way. There, there is no way that I, can, that I can come back to God. Listen, the reason why my big point is what it is, you never have to fear to come home to the Father, is because what we're going to see, the Father has always been about reaching his prodigals. And so what, what I want you to hear, like, like if you have blown it big time and your friends have given up on you, your family has given up on you, you have given up on you, I want to introduce you to a father who has not given up on you. So if you're a prodigal, I want you to tune in to the rest of the story. Because what I know is when we come to our senses, there's this, this sense of remorse, right? You know what remorse is, right? I mean, we, we see remorse in different things, making bad decisions, um, uh, like buyer's remorse. Anybody ever have buyer's remorse? Like you bought something, like I got ripped off. <laughs> uh, several years ago, I was with some friends in, uh, in Mexico, some guys, and we were at an open air market and... Who knew they had some incredible name brand purses on sale in this open air market? I'm like, man, this is an, and they had a Gucci purse. And I, is that it? Is that how you say it? I think it's it. Uh, Gucci purse. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy that for Lori. And like, like I said, you know, how much is it? $240. And I'm like, wow, that's not going to happen. And, and so like I, I talked them down and, and then it still wasn't low enough. And I walked away and then I was coming back and the guy said, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. I like you, he said. <laughs> and because I like you, I'm going to make you a good deal. So long story short, I bought the purse for whatever it was, 30 bucks or I don't know what it was. It looked great. I brought it home and, and, and I didn't tell Lori where I got it. She's like, are you serious? It was like birthday or whatever. Oh, this is amazing. This is great. And she took the church and everybody's like, oh, I love your purse. And, and she's like, yeah, my Keith got it for me. And, and I mean, I was like husband of the year. <laughs> Score. And, and then like next week, the G fell off and she had an Uchi purse. And then I was like, dude, I don't know. And, and I kid you not, like every week it became a joke to see what was going to happen next. Like things fell off, like all the letters ended up falling off, like little, the straps broke. And she's like, where did you get this person? I'm like, man, they had a bunch of name brand stuff. Anyway, she finally like, I was not husband of the year after that, you know, somebody had just, I definitely had buyer's remorse. What, there's a difference between buyer's remorse and buying a terrible car terrible stereo system, what a, you know, uh, an Android phone or whatever it is that you have remorse about. 
And the remorse of coming to your senses and, and seeing that, man, I have blown my life. That's a terrible place to be because there's a hopelessness that can often accompany to this. And so what the son does, if we can, as we continue to read, he puts a plan together. In verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Man, man the servants are eating better than I am right now. You see, in, in, in Jewish culture, when you publicly humiliated someone, it wasn't just, especially when it was a, a parent, it wasn't just that there was a verbal apology that had to be made. There had to be this thing, it's, we know it, the word that we know is restitution. Restitution had to be made. The wrong had to be right. You, you had to pay back. And so he puts together... He puts together this plan, and, and I want you to look at how this one, verse 20, says everything to do with my big point this morning. And he arose and came to his father. Jesus is telling the story, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, look at this, his father saw him and felt compassion and embraced him and kissed him. Now again, man, we gotta understand the culture context. In this culture, women might run Children might run. Patriarchs, the father of the family, does not lift up his robe and bare his legs and run for anyone. That does not happen. And yet, what I love in the shocking, I mean, everything Jesus tells, it is shocking his hearers. What are you talking about? This does not happen. He's, he's introducing us to a love that goes deeper than the wrong. A love that is more significant than honor. It's a love that motivates a willingness to do the unthinkable. And I, I listen, as parents, we, we feel this love. Like, I'm at this weird stage of life where I don't, it's just weird. I'm sending my kids off to college and all that. Like, la, like last night, uh, Cassidy, my daughter, she's a senior in high school, and we're filling out applications for college and everything. And I hate it. I'm just going to tell you right now, like, like, seriously, I just want you to be done the rest of your life and live with me. I, that's, that's just where, no. No, but you, you know what it's like. You guys have been there. And I, I remember, man, when, especially my first, when we sent Trey off to, to, to college, that I may or may not have cried like a little girl when we dropped him off. I'm just telling you, man, it was, it was emotional. And I remember that, that, that first year when, when he was coming home for the summer, I knew when he was leaving and in. I would call him, like, it was getting, I'm sure, irritating to him. Like, where are you, man? Where are you? You, you to Pendleton yet? Where are you at? You Baker City? Where are you? I could not wait for my son to come home. But I want you to understand, Trey and I have this great relationship. He has not wronged me. He has not done anything to me. I want you to think of this in a different context. Let's just say, Trey, if you're watching, this is not true. I get it. Let's just, let's just say Trey has blatantly disrespected me. More than that, he has stolen. He's stolen from me to the point that it has caused me great harm. Because of this, my reputation is hurt. Um, I've lost standing. Let's just say the, the church decided, hey, listen, if you, if, you, if you don't have control over your kids, we don't want you to be our pastor. I've lost my job. I've, I've, there's been a tangible loss here. Would I still 
have that same love if I know my son's coming home? I want, I want you to think about this. This is, this is a love that we're talking about. We're, we're being, Jesus is introducing us to the unthinkable, a love that goes deeper. The son comes back, he has his plan. The father runs to the son. And I want you to read what happens next. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's like the father didn't even hear what he said. Because the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead. It's like he was as good as dead when he left. When he, it wasn't just that he wanted me dead. It was like he was dead when he left. My son, who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They threw a party. And I want you to imagine this, man. I want you to imagine this. The, the, the son is coming. He's got his plan. In fact, he sees dad and, and dad does the unthinkable. He's running toward him. And I'm like, is he going to hit me this time? What's going on? He pulls out his iPhone. He's getting ready to, he's pulling up the notes app. He's going to present his, he has the presentation ready. Here's how I'm going to pay you back. And before he can actually get it all out, his father is embracing him. And he's saying, bring out the best robe. Who owns the best robe? The dad owns the best robe. Get my robe. I don't care if you take a bath. I don't care what you're wearing now. I am clothing you. You are here. You, I'm giving you my honor. We are throwing a party. Son, you're not gonna have to earn your way back into this family. I'm bringing you back into this family. Is this beautiful or what? This is the love of a father. The only one that can restore a relationship is truly the one who has been wronged. The son might desire it, but reconciliation can only happen when the party who's been wronged allows it. And the father brings him back. And you know, if the story stopped here, this would be amazing and this is incredible, but, but the story doesn't stop here. And before I make application, We've got to finish the story because I told you that Jesus is talking to diverse groups of people. Group one is made up of sinners and tax collectors. They're, they're jacked up and they know it. They, they know that they're outsiders. They know that they're unworthy. They know that because of their status, either by birth or because of what they, they've done, they have no honor. They have nothing. And yet, this man Jesus, he's not teaching the temple. He's, he's, he's here with the common people. And for some reason, he, he doesn't mind being with us. They've come to hear him and their lives are being changed. But it's not just that the, the, the sinners are there. We've got the Pharisees and the scribes who are there. Group two is the religious. And, and listen, man, they're proud of their righteousness. They make sure that the sinners know that they're sinners. And it's interesting because what motivated Jesus to tell this story and, and the two stories that preceded this is because the, the, the religious are, are complaining that the sinners are hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus is making a point, and what we're going to see is the point that he's making might be more extensive than what we think it is. What Jesus is doing when he tells this shocking story, he's doing, he's doing three things. First of all, he's introducing God as a father. 
He's using this father language. Now, in the Old Testament, we see God as a father, but God calls himself a father, and he is the father of the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus is the first one to refer to him as, as father. In fact, he refers to him as father every time he addresses God except for one time. And he's, he's doing something that, that, is, that is unbelievable. He's, he's not just, he's just not introducing God as father. He's defining, and I would even say redefining, what a good father looks like. Because let's be honest, when, when some of you, when we talk about God being a father, like you hate that analogy. And the reason you hate that analogy is because you've had jerks for fathers. Maybe you had the abusive father. And all you see when, when, or, or think of when you hear God as a father, you, you see that abusive father. Maybe you had a distant or unapproachable father, a perfectionistic father. You were never, ever able to measure up. And so you struggle even when it comes to serving God because that's your idea of fatherhood. Jesus actually redefines what a dad looks like. He, Jesus Christ offers them a picture of the father that is unlike any other father of that time. For all of his majesty and holiness and greatness, this is who God is. He is holy. He is great. He is righteous. He also presents him as loving, as, a, as, as long-suffering, the one who is longing even for the love of the prodigals. This is who the Father is. This is who God is. So what Jesus is doing, he's, he is introducing us to God as Father, but then secondly, he is redefining sin. And, I, and maybe I should have said expanding on our definition of sin, but I, I want you to think about this. You see, he goes on to tell the rest of the story. We pick it up in verse 25. There's an older brother now the father's older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, the elder son, he's, he's angry. And he refused to go in. So his father came, he came out and he entreated him. But here's how the older brother answered his father. Look, these many years I've served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. Not just a fattened calf, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You can almost hear the bitterness from the older son. But, but when this, uh, it's interesting, he didn't say his brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Here's what the father said to him, verse 31, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Think about that. All that he, all, all that he had left is his. He's already given the younger son his, his, his third of the, the inheritance. The two thirds that are left, all of that belongs to the older son. All that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And with this cliffhanger, Jesus ends the story. He literally ends the story right here. Remember, he's talking to two groups of people. And in the first half, like he's, when he's talking to group one, we get that. That's the traditional understanding of sin. We get it. You screwed up. You've messed up. You're, you're an outcast. You're a prodigal. You need the Father's forgiveness. We understand that. 
The second part, we have the older son. We don't get this part. And I want you to hang with me. When I talk about him redefining sin or expanding on the definition of sin, here's what I'm, here's what I'm talking about. We have a very, very bad son and we have a very, very good son. But I don't want you to miss this. They were both alienated from the heart of the father. Both of them were using the father to get status, wealth, or pleasure. They just went about it different ways. They didn't care about the father's heart. They cared about the father's things. And, and, and while the younger son had to repent of being very, very bad and what he had done, the older son, what Jesus is making a point, you need to repent of being very, very good, not in the sense of, not, not in the, the sense that there's anything wrong with morality or anything like that, but of thinking that your righteousness and your holiness is, is a leverage point. I deserve everything you have to offer. What needed to be repented of was the perversion of the motivation for doing good, for serving the Father. And what he's saying, it's not just the very bad son who needs to repent, it's also the very good son. You're lost in your badness, you're lost in your goodness. And this is why I tell you, I'm talking to two groups here this morning. And potentially we're either lost in our badness or lost in our goodness. And the reason we're both lost, listen, the only way we come back in, the only way we come home is through humility. You see, it's not just that Jesus introduced God as a father, that he expanded and redefined our understanding of sin, Jesus also goes about clarifying salvation. He clarified salvation. Because here's what he's letting them know and what we need to know. Christianity is not about dividing the world into the good people and the bad people. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, Paul writes. There's a distance between all sinners and the Father. And what, what I see from here are three things that we need to be saved and or to be reconciled. First of all, we need the initiating love of the Father. And what jumped out to me is that the Father went out to both sons. He ran to the younger son, he kissed him. You know, it's interesting. It wasn't that the son repented and then he kissed him. He kissed him before the repentance. In fact, I would go so far, the kiss initiates the repentance. And I, I just want to pause here. You know, I don't know who I'm talking to. I, I never know who I'm talking, you know, the, the specifics. But you know what? I just want to pause and say this. God, God the Father might just be running to somebody right here, right now. You've been running. Listen to me. My prayer, I've been praying this all morning, that, you, that, that there would be people that would experience the love of God and that, 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 that you having your eyes open to the love of God, it literally would trigger your repentance. And I'm praying that you come home. And listen, you never have to fear to come home to the Father. But he also went out to the older son. That was... The, the older son disrespected him as well. And even though the, the, the younger son was, had, had, run, had, had run away, man, the older son was just as far away even though he was still on the property. And I want to say this, man. I, I don't care if you've been, you know, you, you know the Bible frontwards and forwards. If, if your motivation for serving God is just using God or, or you, you have this sense of righteousness that allows you to, to man, look with disdain on the rest of the world. You need 
restoration. Perhaps you need saved. You see, we need the initiating love of the Father. He went to both and gave an invitation. But it's not just that. We need to repent of more than our wrongs. We also need to repent of our motivations. Why is it that I'm serving God? Is it, man, I hear this all the time. I thought, I thought if I serve God, I, I don't understand why God's doing it. I've had, I had a lady, she left the church. She told me, she said, I left the church because when I gave my heart to Christ, he was supplying my needs and then I wasn't able to make my, my uh, mortgage payment. I lost my house and so I'm done. I'm like, hold that just reveals the, you, you weren't worshiping God. You were using him as your personal ATM. That's not what this is. We, we have to repent of not only our wrongs, we have to even repent of the motivations we have for being good. Morality is a great thing if it's submitted to the, to, to the lordship of Christ. But morality can be a cutting, terrible thing when it's a means to justifying ourselves. And Jesus is, is making this, this point, but not only that, there's also, we, we need to be moved at the cost that it takes to bring us home. Because while I say you never have to fear to go home from the Father, the Father's gonna spread the table. It's the Father who throws the party. There's still a cost. There's still a price. There's a price that has to be paid. And I, man, I've read this story. I can't tell you how many times I've read this story. You probably have too. But for me, I never, I, it, it had totally escaped me till this week. You know what jumped out to me? You know who bore the cost of the party phone for the young son? It was the older son. It was the older son. And part of his bitterness was not just the fact that it was unfair. That was his fattened calf. That was part of his inheritance that was going to throw the party for the younger son. Now, I want to pause and, and, and say something because Jesus is making a point here. And they... Later, this is going to be explained. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, several years later, maybe a decade or more, this is going to be explained to the Apostle Paul. But I want you to think about what a good brother does. Ho hopefully, you have, the, you have the privilege of having a good sibling. I, I have a good brother. I have a brother that's a couple years younger than me. Now, I'm going to tell you, when we were young, we fought like cats and dogs. Like, or maybe just cats. I'm not even going to throw dogs in that. We fought. It was... We just, we fought. And here's the thing, man. We could, we could just go at it. But if, if somebody else took one side or the other, it was the weirdest thing. All of a sudden, he's fighting both brothers. I still remember distinctly. I was like, five, I was in fifth grade or sixth grade, something like that. And it was one of those stupid playground fights and me and another kid are just going at it. My brother and I had just a little while ago been going at it. And, and, and so me and this other guy are going, and I see this blur, and my little brother literally jumps on his shoulder. I still remember going, do, 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 right on the side of his head. And like, the, the other guy's like, what just happened here? And I remember like, that's what I'm talking about. That's my brother. That's what brothers do. A good brother has your back. A good brother, a good brother, would, even if he would have just seen the, the, the pain that the fathers, the agony of, of what been going after the younger brother left. You know, he, he would have known where the younger brother was. He would have chased him down. He would have brought him back because we're like, yeah, that's what a, that's what a, brother, that's what a brother does. 
The issue here is, is, is that this, this older brother is bitter. It's not that he wants to bring him home at his expense. He is frustrated. He is angry that he's done this. Now listen, we want a good older brother. This is very interesting. I made this connection. And so like if I'm reaching all you uh, Monday morning theologians, you let me know, right? Send me that email. I want you to, I want you to hang with me. Jesus is the ultimate older brother. I want you to think about what, what took place. What took place on the cross? Do you know that it was on the cross? It's the only time when Jesus called out to God, he didn't call him father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he was hanging there, he was taking our place. All of heaven was his. Philippians chapter two, it says that he emptied himself. He set aside everything and he humbled himself even to the point of a cross. This, and, and it wasn't just like the, the, Jesus as the older brother, you know, went to just to the next city or whatever and spent a few and I can't find him. No, he came to seek and save the lost. He, he, and he came from heaven to do it. And what jumped out to me was, this is who Jesus was. He literally hung there naked and unclothed so that you and I could be clothed and that we could become heirs with him. He did not leave us out. He died so that we could come in. And the Apostle Paul, what, what tied this together was as I was, as I was working through this, I was reminded of Romans chapter eight, where in Romans eight twenty nine, Paul wrote, for those, he's talking about God, whom, who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen to this. In order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's the deal. Jesus is sharing the story and he knows what they don't know. His story wasn't over. It was gonna be a matter of weeks or months that Jesus was going to pay the price so that the prodigal the younger son, not just the tax collectors and the sinners could come home, but so that the Pharisees and the religious, the one who had all the jacked up motivations, they could come home too. And the older brother paid a debt that the prodigal, and, I, and, and not just the prodigal, but also the older brother, the, 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 the religious, could not pay. There's a sacrifice that has to be made. As we close our service this morning, I begin by talking about you never have to fear to come home to the Father. What I want to invite you to do, just for a minute, I don't always do this, but I, man, would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And what I want you to do in this moment, if you're a prodigal, I want you to, I just want you to think about his, where you're at, where your sins have taken you, and what your sins have taken from you. What I want to say to you if you're a prodigal is this, come home. But if as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, you identify more with the Pharisee, the scribes, look at what your self-justification has done to you the irritation, the hard heart, the critical spirit, the anger at sinners. I want to say to you as well, come home. Celebrate with the Father Church. 
We don't have a father who's abusive, hard to please or distant. We have a father who runs and he runs to embrace and to kiss the one that's lost. And Lord, as we pause in this moment, I want to thank you for this beautiful, beautiful picture that you gave us. Father who runs. And God, I don't know what you have in store for us, but God, in this moment, if there's a prodigal and they've been, they're putting together their plan, they're getting their presentation together of what they got to do to come home. They always know they're going to be a, they're like, well, I guess I'm probably going to have to be a second class citizen uh, if, I, if I ever come back. I don't know if God's going to have me back. If so, I'm going to be tucked to the side. God, I pray that they would see that you're a father who's going to run to them. God, if there are those of us who are here, whose hearts are heart, we are, as we look around at those around us, we just see the problems. We're trying to prove ourselves to you. I'm praying that we would see the Father who runs. God, would you do what only you can do and forgive and redeem and restore? And God, I pray there'd be a party thrown in heaven because somebody came home. So Lord, for what you're going to do and the, the hours that follow, the days that follow, I pray this truth would resonate, that we would remember we never have to fear coming home to the Father. And God, I pray that you would welcome home the sinner and the wanderer. And I pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, I love this whole idea, heaven's headlines. And I, I don't know why... Uh, what, if they got newspapers in heaven or what, what's going on up there. But you know, what I, you know what I do know? I do know what catches the, the attention of heaven. Did you know Jesus reveals that heaven rejoices when a sinner is saved, when a lost sheep comes home? And all I can say is this. If, you're, if you want to come home, you're going to be part of a reason why heaven itself is going to be celebrating today. That's awesome. And so listen, man, if, if, you, if you have questions, you want to pray, I'm going to be out in the corner. You stop me. We've got people that will be here in the front that if you, if you need to pray. But, but listen, man, don't forget that as you're going home for Thanksgiving, going home for Christmas, and you're looking forward to all that that has to offer, remember you have a father who's calling you to go home. So guys, don't ever be afraid to come home. Thanks for being here today. Listen, if you're willing to be part of what God's called us to here at Grace, to making a difference by serving, whether it be a next gen or whatever, stop by the Next Steps wall, the new here station. So good to have you here. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. By the way, don't forget next week's Thanksgiving service. It's awesome. Great video testimonies. Bring somebody with you. We'll see you next Sunday.